It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. My next guest is a facilitator with Fireside Adoptees, a private Facebook group founded in 2021, which is committed to additional outreach through its public Facebook page. Through the Fireside Adoptees Constellation private Facebook group, many people connect with him because he is transparent, compassionate, and a great listener. His name is Greg Gentry. It's no surprise that Fireside has grown a huge following of about 700 people so quickly because it's a dedicated space for other adoptees. When I asked Greg via Facebook Messenger to be a guest on my podcast, he responded by writing, It's very nice to connect with you. Smiley face. I'm very honored to be asked, and it would be an absolute pleasure. Quote, unquote. The pleasure was mine that he would share his words with us. Greg is also an administrator and facilitator within the Adoption Trauma Network and the host of Adoptees Connect out of Derry, New Hampshire. He enjoys connecting with others in the online adoptee community and has found these interactions to be richly rewarding and supportive. I first learned of some of Greg's contributions to the community through a national adoptees and parents presentation on YouTube that he gave on the topic of genealogical non-facility. It was informative, thought-provoking for me, and well done. Then I watched another video of Greg in conversation with an adoptive parent, Lori Holden. I suggest that you will experience his style of engaging others in a way like no other that makes them feel seen by him. I could feel him holding space for Lori with genuine care and concern. During this episode, you will hear Greg share part of his adoption journey as a domestic baby scoop era adoptee born in California in 1969. He has been in reunion with maternal family members since 2006 and in 2021 also connected with his paternal side. Allow me to introduce you to a truly gentle man who continues to explore how relinquishment, adoption, and reunion has affected his life. He is generous in sharing his findings with our community that often has me thinking that I hadn't been able to put words to what I was feeling about a particular subject until now. Well, hello, Greg. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jennifer. I'm very, uh, very pleased and honored to have the chance to speak with you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so glad you said yes, because I've heard so many good things about you in the adoption community. Um, Certainly, Fireside Adoptee is the first thing that pops in my head. And I want to tell you that Lisa Ann, the podcast host, is the first person to mention you and the group to me last year, 2022. And I was thinking, Fireside, how come I haven't heard of that? And I love the name. Yeah, I love that. 
So I think we should start there. And I'll first tell you that I had an opportunity to listen to two episodes that you were on with Lisa Ann and the the one with the group, both of them I enjoyed, but the one with the group of you, I think it was Mark and Amanda, Nicole, Dusty, and Rhea. Did I leave anybody out? (laughs) No, that was it. Yeah. It was so powerful. I I just came away with like, wow, you all are doing amazing things. So thank you. Yeah, let's start there uh, with Fireside Adoptees. Sure. So Fireside Adoptees is is a private Facebook group, Adoptees Only, that was formed, uh, I'm going to say in August of 2021. And uh, it was the brainchild of, of three founders, Amanda Baum, Mark Miner, and Rachel Hirsch. They quickly put together a group to to create something that bridged a previous group they were all in together that unfortunately was no longer was no longer accessible or wasn't being run anymore. So the intent was to create a space where adoptees could come and the uniqueness was meant to be around this Zoom platform place for uh, frequent, in our case, twice a week chats on Zoom that would allow adoptees to, to interact with each other as close to real in real life or in person as possible. Obviously, it's not exactly the same thing, but it, it showed that it made good use of the platform that was out there. Of course, these were the COVID times and people were getting used to interacting that way in the first place. And I came in in late August, I think, of 2021, shortly after they had formed. They had about 40 members at the time, I think. And there is a core in the group, a leadership core, that I I was made part of a little while after joining. And the goal of Fireside is, first of all, when you think of this word Fireside, it's it's meant to convey, like, the sense of people sitting around a fire and chatting. Right. But it also, there's also this emblem of a phoenix which is the phoenix rising out of the ashes. And the motto that that Amanda really likes, she's our chief founder, is together we rise. So it's meant to be an empowering statement for adoptees that we're collectively in this this life. Uh, We have these interactions that we think can be uh, uniquely shared on Zoom, and we're also there to support each other and rise together. So that's, that's the goal of Fireside Adoptees. That's kind of our mission. And we're also working with other elements of the adoption constellation. We've expanded greatly. Um, the growth has been tremendous and wonderful. We're about 700 members now. Wow. So they've come a long way. Yeah, it's, it's really doing well. It's, it's been a wonderful opportunity for me. And I'm really appreciative to have the chance to be in it. Yes. And shout out to Lisa and for bringing all of you all together as a podcaster myself. I just pictured like that wasn't easy to do and she just nailed it and you all did too. So shout out to all of you, all the participants on that episode. I highly recommend everybody go check that out. All the listeners, please check out that episode. Check out Lisa Ann's podcast. And she even gave a phenomenal shout out to me. It surprised me. I didn't expect to hear that about how we met here in Tennessee in person, not once, but twice. And it's always nice to be in the same room with another adoptee. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, thank you for letting us know 
how that all came to be. And I know Fireside, there's an acronym, right? CAMP, C-A-M-P. And will you tell the listeners what that means? With CAMP, I think the objective that Amanda had for that, she wanted something that was that was easy for members to remember and to think of when they when they thought of Fireside. So, in, in fact, it's actually pinned to the top of of what it what it is to be in our group. It's kind of one of the one of the things we want people to know when they first come in. So, she's talked about these these three things or four things. Sorry, I guess I can spell camp. <laughs> and <laughs> each each one of them is meant to capture part of the elements that, that we like to think of in, in Fireside. C is for community. And the importance there is that the community is not only something that we formed in together in this Zoom and, and for private Facebook group, but the way the relationships can extend outside of just being in that space. So for example, I've, I've met with some of the leaders of Fireside in person and some of the members in person, which has been a wonderful experience. So the community aspect, which is so important for adoptees in general, is is the emphasis that we really want to strive for. So for example, we had a, a chat last night at Mark, one of our founders was talking a lot about community. And that's something that has been immeasurably important for me in, in the adoptee space because of the shared support I've experienced in there, the chance to support other people. So that's the importance of community. The A in camp is for advocate. And that's basically that adoptees are there to support the fact that we are adopted human beings. And also, we're not speaking in that sense in terms of advocacy of particular opinions about adoption, pro-adoption, anti-adoption, things like this, and this big continuum of views of adoption. But the advocacy is for the adoptee. We're, we're pro-adoptee. And that's our stance. And that's what we will always stand for is we support the stories of individual adoptees, whether they feel a certain way about their adoption or not. Uh, we're, we're, we're adoptee first. And so the A is for advocate there. The M is for mentor. That's I think brings for me an image of coming alongside people who are at a different place in their journey. We come into this and we have all these different experiences. We have these different tools or we aren't familiar with the language and we come alongside each other and help other adoptees gather some of these concepts and some of the language they may have not known was there, but they can try to express something. So it becomes kind of like a mentorship in that sense of, investing in other people in their journey, giving them a chance to, to kind of develop along the way as well. And then there's the P at the end of camp, which is for pace. And really this has to do with the fact that if you're collectively together, like in a Zoom space, for example, there's a lot of intensity in there. Uh, there's a lot of raw emotion and things that come up. And it can be easy if you feed too much on the, on the intensity of the energy in that space can be easy to burn out. So the pacing that, that's in this word camp or this acronym is meant to say and suggest that, you know, it's not a requirement to be 100% all the time in the space and, and participating with great levels of intensity. It's, it's necessary as, as people, 
as human beings, as adoptees, to, to pace ourselves so we don't burn out. That allows us to be productive members of the community or also mentors and things like this. So these four letters together uh, are meant to capture the intention pretty much of what Fireside is. Yeah, I just think that's perfect. I love that camp and then Fireside adoptees, like it just fits. <laughs> I um, Yeah, Thank I appreciate you. you sharing all of that. I think that's um, really good information. And so that kind of leads me into how I really got to know you better. And that was through a YouTube video, but also a presentation you did for NAP, National Adoptees and Parents, the genealogical facility. That's the first place I got to know you better. And it was just a wonderful presentation. And it is on YouTube. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. I highly recommend everybody go see that. Did you want to say a little bit about that before we go into the other YouTube (laughs) that you did that I've simply enjoyed um, with Lori Holden? Yeah. I had termed this genealogical non-facility. And so the genealogical piece, and this was specifically meant to express my experience emotionally and experientially and psychologically about being a person who's adopted and what, what family relationships are like for me and, and people I'm related to genetically, but also to adoptive family. That's the genealogical piece is the connection that way. But the, the non-facility meant there's this kind of clunkiness or inability to operate smoothly in terms of how I think about what it is to be in a family. So the, the intent of that was to say that things that might come very easily and naturally for people who grow up in their biological families were things that didn't occur to me as an adoptee, such as I'm related to my nieces and nephews, but it took me a long time to realize that my children are also related to them. Or I had a parallel experience of realizing that I was related to one of my siblings as much as I was to another one. And their children were related to each other, things like this. And Mm -hmm. also within my adoptive family, that there are relationships shared among the cousins, for example, that that I could list, I could write them out, but I didn't, I couldn't experience what it was like to feel connected that way. So that, that was my effort in that presentation to kind of talk about what has it been like for me? And so I kind of came up with that terminology of of genealogical non-facility that I think people really don't don't experience when they grow up in their families, their natural families, because it's so easy for them to, to go through that space and just say, I know what it feels like to have a cousin. And I realized I really don't. And so I have to think about this. And that was my attempt, attempt to present that. Yeah. And that's genealogical non-facility, right? Non-facility, okay. correct. Okay. That's, that's the part is that I don't right. know how to do this well. Yeah. Yeah. I know what spoke to me loud and clear is the sibling piece when you mention oh. half, right? Like I have a I have a half brother and I seldom say that. Yeah. I just say I have a brother, biological brother. But when you mention yeah. that half, he is not fifty percent. We're not fifty percent related. And right. I was I had to right. I had to pause and think that's that's pretty powerful to, to think about. <laughs> Even yeah, though that was, we use that was half a big realization. Yeah. And right. and the other one really resonated with me was the cousins. Like I pictured all my cousins that I grew up with 
who are all biologically related, their relationship was different than mine. I'm thinking of my adoptive dad, his brother's kids, so my first cousins in the family. Even him, my dad going, being with his biological brother and his biological nieces and nephews, it was it was different. Mm-hmm. And, and I had never thought about that. Yeah, and I did receive some interaction in, in the course of the, the chat that was happening, the typed out chat that was happening during the presentation that people were were thinking about this. Yeah, this is really how I experienced this as well. So it was great to hear the validation and see that, that people, even if they hadn't been as aware of it, that was the intent was to tell them that I was becoming aware of it and see if any of them resonated with it. So I appreciate you sharing that. And it's always nice to hear that, that somebody can understand and relate to something an adoptee is trying to share that's really supportive. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not kidding. That was, <laughs> that was so well done. And, and that, as we probably would agree, that this whole journey as an adoptee, there's just all kinds of things we learn, even into our 50s and 60s. I'm almost 60, two years from now. And I'm thinking, I'm still like having these aha moments, you know, like, like oh, that's that or that's worth sitting with or thinking about and and how does this or that make me feel so but i'm here for the, i'm here for the journey you know i really am with the journey right. of healing i'm really showing up as best i know how so that leads me right. into that conversation you had with an adoptive parent Lori Holden yes. and i know a little bit about her in the community but i thought you mm-hmm. held so much space i mean to me you're very compassionate, kind, gentle, and and these qualities, right? Being transparent, being vulnerable, somehow that's where the magic is, I think, or at least it can create a really powerful interaction, particularly when adoptees meet with other members of the constellation. And I think you just nailed it. I see why you're a facilitator with Fireside Adoptees, because you you have uh, the talent to be in other spaces that may be a little more challenging for us. I know as adoptees, we kind of feel at home with other adoptees, but sometimes we have to hold space for, you know, an adoptive parent or birth parent. And so talk to us a little bit about what that was like being with Lori. She did a wonderful job as well. Uh, That's, that's really overwhelming to hear your 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 response to that. So, yeah, it's um, you know, what's really interesting about that is that's what she told me later on. What Lori told me mm-hmm. because we met months in advance of that interview, and for different reasons, it wasn't able to come together when we first met and first had a call, but. There was the Zoom call uh, just between between the two of us, and she was she was scared, and I was scared. Right, right. <laughs> and and we were honest about that because she wanted to know. She was looking for some reassurance. If I come into your space, what's going to happen to me there? Mm-hmm. And it was a challenge for me. It was a challenge because just like what you said, there's 
some insularity that I'm going to say in the, in the adoptee community specifically, because we're, we're used to having our voices as kind of an also ran or a second position right. or even a third position to the voice of adoptive parents and then sometimes to first parents and then adoptees often come in third or second. Mm-hmm. And so entering into a conversation like that was meant to be a way for us to acknowledge to each other and to the group of people listening that for better or for worse, this this situation of adoption exists and how are we to navigate with the other people in the constellation like you said for Lori she she was looking for that reassurance before we went into the interview like I said months in advance what's it going to be like for me there what if what if, who's going to be safe for me there and not because people are looking to attack her but I understand the fear because I was feeling it for mm-hmm. myself for the same reason. You know, there's, there's, there's tension there, right. In, in these relationships. Right. So the, the interview I thought went really well. And I've, I got a lot of feedback from people about it, but I will say it was difficult for me because it wasn't like anything I had done. And there there were people who were not necessarily happy that it happened. There were people who were very happy that it happened. And Lori has told me since then that that was the first time she really felt safer somewhere else in the adoption constellation was the interview. Wow, what a compliment. Here. Yeah. Well, I felt um, it. I absolutely oh, felt it, and and we, uh, as adoptees, I think it benefits everybody for us to take on some things that are spaces that may be challenging. Like, yeah, I've been right. yeah, I've been thinking more about that, and and it's going to be very helpful and useful for the entire constellation. Yeah, yeah, and and again, it's. I will. I will have to say, my heart is is always first with adoptees. It always will be. Mm-hmm. I went in to to listen and to learn from Lori, but also to be heard. Right. As, you, as did the voice. You, you did that. <laughs> you did <laughs> that. You absolutely did that, and yeah, I I have such respect and admiration for for how well you did that. So let's get into your story, wherever you want to start and however much you want to share. Thank you. I'm a Baby Scoop era adoptee, born in California in 1969. And uh, the first three weeks, six weeks, sorry, of my life were spent in foster care. And I was adopted into a family in Southern California that had two two older natural daughters and I grew up about eight years of my life not knowing I was adopted. Apparently I was told maybe when I was about eight. I didn't register with me, so I really didn't find out 
I'm going to say in terms of my awareness until I asked when I was 10 years old. So I like to say that's when I found out. But people have pointed out maybe your brain was working on and not able to accept what they had told you a couple of years before that. And it just became like this urge to connect with something and say, okay, I, I want to find out. I'm feeling this insecurity about something. I don't know where it comes from. But by the time I was 10, that's when I found out about this. It did result in a change in, in my dynamic with my adoptive family. I just I felt something that was disconnected from then on out, not because I didn't love them. I just was so acutely aware of of being in this context that wasn't fully natural. And I felt that way pretty much my my whole life after that, that as much as I have loved my, my family that I grew up with and they were always very gracious and loving towards me. I just, I haven't always felt the sense of connection that I know they would wish was there and that they would say for them is there. But I think people who are adopted understand that the love coming from the adoptive family doesn't necessarily mean the adoptee just clicks right in because they were taken from somewhere else. They had a whole different history and background. It may or may not be the case that the adoptive family is supportive of the adoptee as an adoptee. Maybe that they want to erase that. Um, for me, it just wasn't talked about. So I grew up not really being able to, to speak about adoption. By my early adulthood, I was I was pretty interested, I think, in finding out about my family, about my my biological family, but I still would convince myself I didn't really want to do anything about it or that it really wasn't a burning issue for me. I did finally hire a private investigator in 2006 that I found on the internet and within about a week and a half or so, they, they located my birth mother's information and confirmed it and they gave me Basically, I opened an email one, one night when I got home from work and suddenly found out all these things about myself. Wow. Just <laughs> about, like that. her name. Yeah. 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 It was all just there. I remember that it's like a gestalt, this flash of an image that's just frozen there of what was in the email, mm -hmm. the information about my mother, about about my father, very little about my, my biological father, just his, where he was born in the, the year of his birth but information about my, my bio mother. And uh, that led eventually to a reunion shortly after that in 2006, that kind of was an up and down sort of affair where we would go in and out of this. Definitely thought of it was going to be a hallmark type thing. Both of us thought that and found out it was tremendously heartbreaking at times and emotional and, Finally, in 2021, we, we kind of had this rupture that hasn't been repaired. But I have been still in contact with my, my uh, half-siblings on her side, mm -hmm. which has been a, a, tremendous, a tremendous thing in my life to, to have that contact with them. And then in 2021, another adoptee friend helped me find information on my, my dad's family, my bio bio dad's family. 
he had been deceased since 1988 and I knew that. So he would have died when I was 19, but I, I didn't, I didn't ever try to connect with his family or find anything out about them as I had this story in my head that maybe they didn't want me to find them or weren't interested with the help of my friend. I was able to overcome some of that anxiety about it. And she said, I think this is who you should contact and see if they're in your family. Cause it seemed to be, and it took me months, but eventually I reached out and found that I had connected with the right people. <laughs> so she did great detective work there. And I had always assumed that maybe my, my father, because he died at, a, at I think, age 33, maybe he didn't have any other children. And I found out I had five half-siblings through him as well. So suddenly there was this big world that, that opened up. And 14 years, I guess, was the span between my maternal reunion and my paternal reunion. And I found very different circumstances in the two of these. On my mother's side, my half-brother and sister had always, or since their teenage years, known about me. On my, my biological father's side, none of my brothers knew about me. <laughs> but mm. I've, been, I've been welcomed by, by most of them. I, I have not met with a response from one of them, but I've even had the chance to meet one in person, which has been great. So I feel fortunate to have all of these these connections ahead of me that I didn't know would exist. So that, that's been pretty much my, my reunion story, I would say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm sorry that that. that's familiar. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. I guess disruption, even though you still maintain contact of some sort. Oh, on on my mother's side. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I know one of the things I remember you saying um, with Lisa Ann on her podcast is that you, you're not giving up. You know, you're not going to stop wanting connection. And I kind of feel right. that way too. Yeah, like like it's just a not yet at times. You know, I'm thinking of a biological family member where I haven't spoken to her in over a year and uh, I'm not giving up. You know, I'm not saying we won't be able to connect in the future. It's just not right now. And that yeah. does happen in reunion. And um, sure. yeah, we just, just have to manage it. I always use that word to describe maybe what's going on that could be better. I think that's a really good word for that, to manage it. There's so much unexpected about it. There's so much that even if you were as prepared as you thought you possibly could be, it still doesn't turn out like you thought it would right. once you enter into it. So I almost feel like there's no way to write a definitive book to reunion, for example, or guide to it. It's going to fit. It's going to be something different when you get into it for each person. Right. And, and you know, these things happen in biological families where people have kerfuffles, I call them. You know, they have mm-hmm. conflict that's not, that's unresolved, it's not been managed well, I guess. Yeah, I, I remind myself of that. So that's that's not just unique to us, but I think that the thing for us is the extra layer of relinquishment yeah. and adoption. That's kind of the difference, if anybody ever wonders. <laughs> yeah, I feel like also that there's this, these 
constraints or conditions around it where it's literally the case as adoptees that if some of us reach out to the wrong person, we shut off communication with somebody else we were already in, in contact with, we get doors slammed just by talking to the wrong person or suggesting the wrong thing to the wrong person. So there's this element of gate, gatekeeping that makes it even more complicated and, and heartbreaking for us because if you get shut out where uh, I think in, in biological families, that's probably less likely to happen in, in such a, a dismissive and wholesale sense. Not that it can't, but I feel like it's, it's a constant danger for us, like walking through a minefield of, and I'm experiencing it. Like if I, if I reach out to the wrong person, then what happens to my relationship with somebody else who's mm. also related to that person? That's so I'm, I'm experiencing that. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. That's a very real thing. I've heard many adoptees say that. And I personally feel like I have experienced it. You know, I just wonder, well, what's being set behind my back, you know, because uh -huh. of this relationship and then their relationship with someone else, you know, like, yeah, it's all of that. And <laughs> yeah, it can be tough. That. Yeah, it can be. It tough. is. Yeah, it is. It's hard. It's hard for people of outside of the adoptee community to to grasp that fully. Mm -hmm. The finality of having a door shut and how it can cut you off from knowing things about yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that you no longer have access to. You can't talk to people who know who have clues to to who you are, and suddenly they're not available anymore because mm -hmm. you talk to the wrong person or asked something the wrong way or yeah. you were an inconvenience or a source of shame for somebody. So they're not going to let you in to other parts of other people's lives. Yeah. And then I'm thinking families, members who have all this history that we don't have with them, having these yeah. loyalties with each other simply because they've, they've been in each other's lives far longer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you, has there been any specific tools that you've used to best navigate your journey through the years? When I first contacted my, my birth mother, she actually started sending me books on adoption. And it's interesting, the ones she sent me. She sent me The Primal Wound, and she sent me Nancy Verrier's second book, Coming Home to Self. She sent me Betty, Betty Jean Lifted. She sent me the one, these works that are often recognized in the adoptee community as having a lot of clout or importance. I thought, now that I think about it, it was really interesting she even knew those, those books were out there before she even met me. She sent them to me within a few months of our reunion starting. I, I didn't make it through most of them because of the the emotional intensity of, of reading some of these things. And I found that for almost 13 or 14 years, I, I kind of shut off the resources that would have been available to me. And I stayed in this, um, in the adoption fog basically until the middle of 2021. And suddenly I came out of the fog and the resources looked totally different. The, the books that I had on the shelf, I was suddenly interested in going back and seeing what, why did she send me this? What right. was in here, in here after all? But the biggest thing has been 
connection with other adoptees and their experience being shared with what they've gone through with tools they found are useful. And that was discovered largely through social media and also doing some, some independent research. And then finally connecting in person through like Adoptees Connect in my case, and actually meeting up with people and sitting there and listening to them and hearing the work they've done hearing the things they've attended, the seminars, the conferences, the other the other contacts, there gets to be this this collegiality to it where where you love the people that you're in this with. You hate that you're in it. Right. But you come to have this appreciation that at least you're in it with, with people who are also struggling through it and, and want to do the best they can as well. And so I was made aware of all of the resources online I know the online community can be volatile, sure. But the books that were coming out and continue to come out and more of them, the the adoptee memoirs that are being written and thank goodness those are coming out uh, rapid fire. The people are like, hey, I have my voice. I'm going to talk about this. And so producing wonderful works now about their lives, the, the individual experience they had and what's been helpful for them in their journey. So all of that has been kind of collectively what's helped. The other thing is the sounding board that these Zoom calls, for example, have for me in Fireside Adoptees and in other other venues I've been, where just the fact of of hearing that interaction sparks all this this inner dialogue in myself, things I hadn't thought through, hadn't considered, and that becomes an opportunity for growth for me as well. And a chance to integrate that in a way that I can reflect it back out to people. So those have been the things that have been helpful to me rather than saying this specific book, that that author and, and this particular thing. It's been this dynamic interplay of the community and some of the online resources. Uh, it's been, like I said, volatile at times because we're wounded people. Sometimes we trigger each other. That happens. It happens more than any of us, I think, would want to have happen. Sometimes we're against each other, and we hopefully would, would not want that. We would want to be together. But overall, the support, the encouragement from other people has been what's helped me the most. Wow, that was a beautiful answer. And it sounds like you, you sort of answered the question I was thinking about next, which is what has been the most rewarding and or challenging thing about being better connected to the community. (laughs) But I know that as a facilitator of Fireside Adoptees, is there anything that's been most meaningful about that experience? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) First, I would say that it it is very much uh, a humbling honor to even be able to facilitate in a space like that. I know that that's not something everybody gets to do. I think what has been most rewarding about it is is the listening part and the supporting part and hearing hearing people make discoveries right seeing it right in front of you because it does happen that people make a connection they hadn't made or they they're able to talk about something that they never had words for before or never had a space to 
They come in and sometimes they're scared, understandably. And people will often say, I've never done this. I've never talked to another adoptee. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that happens more often than you would think. Yeah. So to know that they have that opportunity that they've never had, that's incredibly rewarding. I, I won't lie here. It, it's a very emotional thing for me to hear because these are the, the deepest, most intense parts of their of people's lives that they can't share everywhere. And suddenly you're in that space with them and they're opening up to other people about it. And yeah, it can be very emotional to hear that. But it's, it's wonderfully supportive in that sense and to be able to offer that to people. So that's been the most rewarding part. I think the most challenging part is the conflict that I have seen to know that, that a lot of it comes from people who are, like I said, are also experiencing the primal wound. These are other people, relinquished people that are hurting too. And they hurt each other when they clash. Yes. The pain. Yeah. 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 And I, I hate that. I've lost friendships over that. I wish it didn't happen. I wish I wasn't, the cause of some of that sometimes I can't say I've never engaged in that because I'm also triggered at times, but I I would like for that to be something that, that gets better in our community. And I hope it can be something that, that can be repaired somewhat so that people can come back together more on some of these things. I agree. Thank you for sharing that. This has been really a great time. We covered so much, and I want to honor your time. And is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? I think it was absolutely everything I would want it to be (laughs) in a conversation. You asked me some great things about some of the stuff I was doing and about about the community. Again, I want to say that really appreciate Fireside Adoptees and and other groups that I'm fortunate enough to be a part of. Very grateful for your time. Uh, You're definitely a person I respect in our community, and I was really excited to hear from you. So thank you very much for the opportunity to do this. Oh, thank you, Greg. And I really look forward to meeting you in person. I I really do. I think it just would be fantastic. I, I just really admire you. And you are, let me just say this, you are one of the best listeners. I can feel it when I I listen to you. I can feel it when I see you, when I watch you. And that's probably one of the biggest and best gifts one person, human being to human being, can ever give. Yeah, hats off to you and the work you're doing. And maybe you'll come back, be a guest again. I would love to. That was such a nice thing you said. Thank you for being so kind to me. Yeah. Those things. Well, I appreciate you I'd saying to yes back. to this conversation. I really do. You And let me just, the listeners don't know this, but I like to give a little backstory sometimes. When I reached out to Greg, he responded right away. We talked by phone for a while, I guess a couple of weeks ago. And just back and forth, you know, just I feel like you, you you check on people. And I love that. Yeah. I just <laughs> And just express <laughs> to me, you know, your anticipation and your excitement. Like, I don't get that very often because people, you know, live very full lives as you do, too, I'm sure. But you were able to to put that 
into our um, getting to know each other. So I just want to thank you for that, too. That means a lot, Jennifer. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. <laughs> when Greg explains adoptive parent Lori asking him, if I come into your space, what's going to happen to me there? I felt that. The fear members of the constellation sometimes have of each other. Greg was able to reassure Lori and conduct a wonderful exchange between them. I believe they both faced their fears and met the challenge to go on and have a harmonious dialogue. I hope you will check out their YouTube video if you haven't yet. The link can be found in the show notes. Whenever I hear an adoptee say that they weren't able to talk about their adoption during childhood, it saddens me. And I wonder if an adoptive parent understands how that can adversely affect an adoptee's self-image. It is sometimes well into adulthood that we give ourselves permission as adoptees to talk about what happened to us at the beginning of our life. Having been silenced for far too long, it's great that we are caring for ourselves by now honoring our voice. Each time I hear the words fireside adoptees, I think of Mark, Amanda, Dusty, Nicole, Rhea, Greg, and a host of other adoptees all sitting around a big campfire being seen like never before. I love the acronym CAMP, Community, Advocate, Mentor, and PACE. I plan to remember and recall the importance of all four of them. Thank you, Greg, for having this conversation with me. I've enjoyed listening and learning from you, while at the same time desiring to be heard and seen by others. What a great balancing act of that you seem to manage so well in our community. I'm reminded of how important it is for me in my journey, too. In just a short period of time, you have helped bring many adoptees together for the purpose of self-care, sharing information, and having a fireside-like feeling space to be together as storytellers of our lived experience. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.